I know we've been talking a lot of theology the last few weeks, uh, important theology, um, as God has been teaching us about what true conversion looks like. It's, it's always a doing faith. If it's real on the inside, it spills out on the outside. The Bible could not be more clear about that. God's not impressed with religion. Um, in fact, He hates religion. You know, the kind of religion that gives Him lip service but no, no heart. God hates that. He detests that. In fact, I, I think it makes Him angry. So, I think it's important that uh, we ensure that when we gather together uh, to worship Jesus Christ, that we bring our hearts. Um, that's what the Lord delights in. He wants our hearts. And so we've talked about that. If it's real on the inside, it spills out on the outside. That's what we've been talking about. A lot of theology, a lot of important doctrine we've been talking about the last few weeks. This week really is a practical sermon. It's about um, how powerful your tongue is. Um, some people have said that James chapter 3 is a nice devotional on the tongue. Well, it's, in, it's anything but a nice devotional. Uh, the Lord could not be more stark in some of the terms that He uses here to talk about the power of your tongue and my tongue. And so I, to try to highlight that, I want to begin with a, an illustration from World War II. Some of you will be familiar with uh, Eli Wiesel's book entitled Night. He was a prisoner at Auschwitz. So, I'm just going to read an excerpt from his uh, book, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about it. Wiesel writes, As the train stopped, we saw the flames rising from a tall chimney into the black sky. We stared at the flames in the darkness, a wretched stench floated in the air. Abruptly, the cattle car doors opened and an SS officer ordered everybody out. We jumped out. In front of us were those flames. In the air, the smell of burning flesh. Not far from us, flames, huge flames were rising from a ditch. Something was being burned there. A truck drew close and unloaded its hold. Men, women, and children were being thrown from the truck into the flames, he continues. Never shall I forget that night, the first night in the camp, that turned my life into one long nightmare. Never shall I forget the smoke, the faces, the flames that consumed my faith and my desire to live. Never shall I forget those things, even were I condemned to live as long as God Himself. Never will I forget. Wiesel makes the comment that as he tried to write his memoirs, as he tried to write this book, the language, he could never get to the horror. The language would not express the depth of the horror that he experienced in the death camp. So, how do men get to this place? You know, you hear this question asked a lot in the media. How could men do that? You know, some, some uh, atrocity, some genocide happens in the world, and the, the, the media pundits ask the question, how could men do this to other men? We know. We know, don't we? We're Bible believers. We understand what God has said about the heart of man. We understand it because we've read our Bibles and we believe our Bibles. We know what God tells us. We have no misconceptions regarding what fallen man is capable of. We know... Contrary to what many naive people want to say in the world, that mankind is not inherently good. 
Mankind is a rebel. He has rebelled against a good and gracious and benevolent and kind and generous God. And he is wicked. His heart is separated from this awesome God. You know, I guess the most frequent question I get from unbelievers or people who may be nominal in their faith as a Christian, they always ask me, why does this bad thing happen? I always get this question. Do you guys get this question a lot? Why does this bad thing happen? Beloved, all you got to do is read your Bible. You don't have to read but three chapters. Genesis chapter 3. God says don't do that or you will surely die. The world's not messed up because God's messed up. The world's messed up because you're messed up and I'm messed up. And every human being who's ever walked this planet is messed up. We are rebels. And were it not for Jesus Christ, we could never be reconciled to this holy and awesome God. We are rebels, as one theologian said, with weapons in our hands. Why does Assad kill hundreds of thousands of his own people? He's a rebel. He's a rebel. Why does ISIS, why do they cut the heads off of people who don't agree with them? They're rebels. They're rebels. And I could go down an endless list. I'll just remind you. You know what the Bible says. Genesis 6.5 The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's not God's fault that there's evil running um, loose in the world, although it is under His sovereign control. It's not God's fault. It's your fault. And listen, you know, I know that's a... People have a hard time understanding how the Bible associates responsibility. The evil in the world is our responsibility. It's not God's. It's ours. It's, it lands at our feet. We disobeyed God. We rejected God. We rebelled against God. This is why men hate other men. God didn't make us to hate other men. We hate other men because we choose to hate other men. Ecclesiastes 9.3 The hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Listen to this. And insanity is in their hearts. Amen? Watch the news. Insanity is in the heart of man. It's evident every day. You can't watch the news one day. Every day you see the insanity of man. I can still remember my favorite preacher in the States, John MacArthur, on 9-11. The Sunday after 9-11, he gets up and he says, Man is a murderer. This is what men do. Left to his own devices, this is where man ends up. Jeremiah 7, 9. The heart of a man is, listen to this, is more deceitful than all else. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Mark 7, you guys will know this text. 20 to 21, these are the words of Jesus. That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things proceed from the heart of man. It's not God's fault. And don't you let anybody get away with saying it is. You call yourself a Christian, you're supposed to know your Bible. You're supposed to understand that the evil that is in the world 
It's not sitting at the feet of God, it's sitting at the feet of mankind. We had dominion. We had dominion. Now, who is the little g-god of this world now? Satan! We had dominion! And God calls Satan the little g-god of this world. The ruler. Little r, ruler of this world. Again, we understand God is sovereign over Satan. Okay. Jim, that's a great history lesson. Jim, that's a great theology lesson. What's it got to do with, with James chapter 3? Everything. <laughs> Everything. Why is there a death camp at all? Why is Wiesel in this death camp? Why is he seeing, you know, otherwise civilized men throwing children into the fire? Why is he seeing this? Where did it start? Where did this horror start? How did Nazi Germany get there? It's James chapter 3, verse 6. You heard me read it. James chapter 3, verse 6. What does it say there at the end? The tongue defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by what? Someone tell me. What does the Bible say? What does God say? By hell. By hell. Do you think God's not interested in how you use your tongue? This is a powerful text, beloved. You know, I've heard people kind of diminish this text into, well, you shouldn't gossip. Obviously, you shouldn't gossip. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But this all starts within our own hearts. You know, what I'm going to say to you, and what I hope you never forget, is, uh, you know, <laughs> Jesus, I'm going to read you a text in a little bit, but all i got to do is listen to you talk for about a day or two. Maybe not even that long. Some of you will... Uh, reveal yourself pretty fast. Some of you reveal yourself in just a short conversation. If I talk to you for maybe no more than an hour, I know who you belong to. I know you either belong to God or you belong to the world. I can tell. It's, uh, I love, one theologian says that your tongue is a tattletale. Your tongue always tells on you. What is in the heart will come out. It will come out over your mouth, over your tongue and through your lips. Your tongue is a tattletale. That's something easy that you can remember. Your tongue is a tattletale. So, you know your history by the hell that was in the heart of Adolf Hitler. It came over his tongue, through his lips, into the political discourse of Germany, and the world blew up. Europe blew up, right? It started here. It came here. And Wiesel is at Auschwitz. And... He's seeing human beings throw other human beings into the fire. This is not hyperbole. James chapter 3, verse 6 is not hyperbole. God's talking about the hell that comes out of the human heart over the tongue and through the lips. You say, Jim, this is an extreme example. Of course it's an extreme example. But it holds true. Unfortunately, it's not an isolated example. Paul Pot killed millions. It started with his rhetoric. Two to three million. Satan killed, pardon me, Stalin killed millions. It started with his rhetoric. Twenty million. Mao, the greatest murderer that we are aware of in at least modern times, 
With his rhetoric, he killed 40 million people. This is not hyperbole. This is not hyperbole. Hell resides, hell resides in the heart of fallen man and it comes over his tongue and through his lips. So when the next Holocaust occurs in the world, and it will happen, some despot somewhere will uh, participate or command ethnic cleansing. It will happen. We know why it happens. Because men hate God, and it's a power grab. Men have declared their independence from God. I'll do whatever I please. I don't care what God says. I do whatever I please. I'm king of my own destiny. I do whatever I want. No one governs me. You know the great psalm. The psalmist says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I'll have no God over me, the psalmist says. I just want to make sure we're getting it. This is not hyperbole. As one theologian said about James's teaching here, this is the human heart. He talks, he's personifying the tongue. This is a Hebrew mode of communication. He's isolating the tongue, but it's coming out of the heart. We understand that what comes off the tongue is simply coming out of the heart. So Hitler, Stalin, Mao, yeah, they're extreme examples. They are men who destroyed millions of lives with their tongues. But here's what I want you to understand tonight. That what God is warning us about in James chapter 3 is that you and I have the capacity to destroy as well. You have the capacity to destroy love, joy, peace, trust, marriages, families, churches, friendships, reputations, businesses, careers, etc., 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 with your tongue. With our tongue, beloved. So God is both warning us and exhorting us in James 3 regarding our tongue and the destructive power that is in the human tongue if it is unbridled. This is an important word in the text. A bridled tongue. Do you have a bridled tongue, beloved? Or does whatever you think fly out of your mouth? <laughs> God's exhorting His people to have a bridled tongue. A tongue, a disciplined tongue. A godly tongue. A tongue used for, for uh, exhortation and edification. This is what the Lord is calling us to tonight. I must say it again. Your tongue is you. It's you. Your tongue is you. What you say is who you are. Now, I know some of us make mistakes and we say things in a rash manner. Our flesh gets the most of us and we say something that we know we shouldn't have said. We say it in anger. We immediately apologize for it and repent of it. But your tongue is who you are. So, I could listen to you talk for an hour and I know really pretty, pretty much who you belong to. You're either in the kingdom of God or you still belong to this world. You're still in love with this world. It's one thing Karen and I talk about all the time, you know, 
when you're with when you're with real Christians and, and you just naturally are, you're talking about Christ, you're talking about the Lord, you're talking about the kingdom, you're talking about you know how awesome He is and this incredible gospel and what He did for us and, and how He and the gifts He's given us in the body and the things we're doing for the glory of Jesus, right? And the, and our discipleship and how He's encouraging us to go deeper and deeper and deeper in faith. When you're around real Christians, you just naturally start talking about these things. You can't help it, you know. You just you just naturally talk about this awesome God that saved us from our sin. So your tongue is a tattletale. Jesus says, Matthew 12, 34, for the mouth speaks out of that which, is, which fills the heart. It's just what's in your heart, beloved. And again, American preacher, author, theologian John MacArthur says, nowhere is the union of faith and works more obvious than in your speech. We've been talking a lot about this. Faith and works. How does it... How does the Bible talk about it? I think MacArthur's right. Nowhere is the union of faith and works more obvious than in your speech. Again, as you go through the Bible, you always, we always must understand we're not talking about sinless perfection. None of us are sinless. None of us are perfect. The Bible's not talking about that. But the Bible is talking about sanctification. Um... You know, that's one thing that left me. I was converted at 28. And I had a really bad... I mean, one of my friends told me, he said, the, the first impression he had of me, I, we were at a church softball meeting, okay? I don't remember it. The only reason I played for the church is because it was something to do. You know, I could care less about the church at this stage. But he said, the first memory I had of you, you were cursing at a, um, at a church softball meeting. In the church! I was an idiot! Right? But that was his first impression of me. And I can remember when I, when I was converted, it was one of the first things that happened. I just, the, the speech changed. And it's not that, that sometimes in my human flesh and anger, I didn't revert to my old habit. But, but it, I mean, it's completely gone now, obviously. It's many years, many years since. But it, my speech began to change. It just began to change. It's what we've been talking about. If it's real on the inside, it will change on the outside. And God hammers the tongue here in, in the book of James. Just quickly, I'm going to give you a survey, just very quickly. Verse 19, chapter 1, verse 19. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. Chapter 1, verse 26. If a man does not bridle his tongue, he is deceived and his, quote, religion is worthless, unquote. Chapter 2, verse 12. So speak as those who are judged by the law of liberty. He's saying speak like a son or daughter of the king. Chapter 4, verse 11. Do not speak against one another, brethren. Chapter 5, verse 12. My brethren, do not swear. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Somebody's calculated. Um, I'm glad I wasn't on this committee that that's researched this, but they found out that your average human being will speak between 18 and 25,000 words a day. So let's just, for average sake, let's just call it 20,000 words. So you got 20,000 words a day. What are you doing with your 20,000 words? They tell us that one-fifth of your life will be, you will be speaking one-fifth of your life. One-fifth of your life, you will be speaking. What are you speaking? How are you using your 20,000 words? Are you making much of Jesus? Are you edifying? Are you encouraging? Are you a peacemaker? Are you forgiving? Are you asking for forgiveness? Are you gracious? Are you kind? Are you patient? How are you using your 20,000 words? 
I won't reread the text, but here in the first few verses of chapter 3, he says, Let not many of you be teachers. Um, of course, this, one, <laughs> this one's for me and some of you who uh, do teach at various times in the church. Why should we not be teachers? Um, what's the warning here? You will incur stricter judgment. So, I think there are at least two reasons God is saying this. One is, teachers are responsible before God to rightly divide the Word. And there's a tremendous liability here in being a teacher. And it's why I've told you many, many times when I'm preparing my sermons, I'm never thinking about you. I'm not thinking about, well, I wonder if Ashley will like this. Or will Brian like this? Or will Orazio like this? I, I don't ever think about you. I think about God. God is my audience, right? I have to give an account to God. Now, you may like or dislike the message, but that's really, I, I have to be honest with you, that's not my principal concern. My principal concern is that I, that I handle the Word of God with integrity. Can I stand before God and say, I was a stewardship with your Word? You know, there's that whole imagery both in the Old and New Testament that the teacher or prophet is got blood on his hands if he doesn't give the truth to the people. You know, woe is me if I stand up here and tickle your ears. How many ear ticklers do we have in the world these days? Just check them out on the internet. It's, there's a, it's astonishing. I just wonder about these men. Do you not know you're going to stand before God and give an account? Do you not understand that? So first of all, the teacher, at least for me, God is my audit. Secondly, because the teacher trades on his tongue, we use our tongue in serving the body. There's this huge exposure to sinning with our tongue. And I think this is the explicit thing that is being said here in the text. So there's a strong warning to anyone who desires to teach. That doesn't mean we should shrink back from teaching, but it means we should understand how weighty a responsibility that this is. Did you notice there in verse 2, chapter 3 of James, James owns his own fallibility. Look what he says. He says, for we all stumble. He's not saying he's perfect in this. And of course, any man who tells you that he is perfect in any aspect of Christianity, uh, we know that he is not well informed with respect to the condition of his own heart. But he says we stumble in many ways. And the teacher is held to a higher standard. Verse 2, he also talks about um, the perfect man. He's not talking about perfection again. I want you to understand, he's not talking about perfection. He's talking about spiritual maturity. I can tell how spiritually mature you are just by really listening to you for a short time. Um, you know, are the things of God on your lips or the things of the world? I mean... Uh, you can tell. You can tell. But he's talking about being spiritually mature. Do you know what to say, when to say it, and what not to say, and when not to say it? I mean, there's a maturity here. This is what he's talking about. And also in verse 2, he talks about having, having bridled the tongue, how it's, it's a bridle for the whole body, how it signifies that uh, a, a spiritual maturity and a bridling of the whole body as well. We know how to use our 20,000 words every day. We know what we're supposed to do with these 20,000 words. Yes, we, 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 we communicate with our spouse and our children and our co-workers and our colleagues and our neighbors and, and our fellow Christians. We do all of that. And, uh, 
and peppered throughout our language is the fact that we love Christ and we belong to Christ and He is, he is the Savior of the world. This is always peppering the language of the true Christian. Verses 3 and 4, we get two powerful analogies. The bit in the horse and the rudder on the ship. These are powerful analogies, um, I think, for us. In, in a sense, the tongue is an, an indicator of your spiritual life. It's, it's really a barometer. Uh, even as uh, the bit is for the horse and the rudder is for the, the ship, the tongue is like a master switch in the spiritual realm, more or less, is what God is saying. So, what practical good is a horse? without a bit. Now, he's a beautiful animal. You can admire the animal, but you're not going to get any work out of him, right? If you don't have a bridle. If he doesn't have a bit in his mouth. So what good is a, even the mightiest warship with no rudder? What good is it? It's not much good at all. What God is saying, with a, bri- with a bridle tongue, you're in position to be as mightily of God, Right? You can be used mightily of God. If you have a bridled tongue, if you have a Christ-exalting tongue, if you have a God-honoring tongue, if you have a tongue uh, that the Word of God, you know, you've, you've memorized Scripture, and it's in your heart, and, and it comes off your tongue. It just comes off your tongue. Men are cursing God, and you're praising God. Men are accusing God, and you're talking about His greatness and His sovereignty. God doesn't really need us to defend Him. I, I'm always cautious not to say that. We don't have to defend Jehovah Jireh. Are you serious? I don't have to defend God, but I can stand and give testimony to His greatness, can't I? Shouldn't I? Or am I afraid to use my tongue in the world? Am I afraid to speak of Christ in the world? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have opportunities in the world to speak the name of Jesus and you simply won't do it. And and listen, I'm not discounting discernment. I get that. Sometimes I understand about discernment. I understand that. I get that. But you know, sometimes it's the right time to speak the name of Jesus. It's it's the right time. God can use you mightily. He can, man, you know, just like that little bitty rudder turns that mighty warship, your, your testimony about Jesus, bam, can change a heart, beloved. It changes eternities. The Word of God changes eternities. As we share the truth. So why is controlling our tongue a motivation for us in our Christian walk? The spiritual dynamics at work to control the tongue will be at work to control the rest of the body. It's the inference here in James chapter 3. If we've learned to control our tongue and bridle our tongue, it's a good indication that our body is under control and has been bridled. Again, John MacArthur, famous preacher in the States, he says, if you really want to get your Christian act together, you've got to start with your mouth. You've got to start with your tongue. It's how you speak to those in your orbit. It's the things you say to those in your orbit. I love how David talks about this. Psalm 39.1 David says, listen to this, and I want to ask you, do you think about this for yourself? David says, I will guard my ways. Are you guarding your ways? He continues, 
that I may not sin with my tongue. Are you guarding your ways? Are you guarding your tongue? Are you holding your tongue? There's a proverb, I think, that says, and I didn't look it up, in many words, there's much sin. (laughs) Are you guarding your ways? And are you guarding your tongue, beloved? It's what God's called us to. He's called us to maturity. He's called us to spiritual maturity. I looked this word up here, this Hebrew word guard. It means, David says, I'm I'm a keeper of my tongue. He says, I'm the watchman of my tongue. He says, I'm in charge of my tongue. I restrain my tongue. This is what the Lord is saying to us. This is what He's calling us to, I think, in James chapter 3. David guarded, proactively guarded and muzzled his tongue. And I just looked up some some uh, adjectives in the Bible that describe the tongue. I'm just going to give them to you real quick. Kind of shotgun blast here. Uh, these are from various passages. Let me just read, read them to you. This is what the Bible says about fallen man's tongue. It's wicked. It's deceitful. It lies. It's perverse. It's filthy. It's corrupt. It's bitter. It's angry. It's crafty. It's flattering. It's slanderous. It gossips. It backbites. It's blasphemous. It's foolish. It curses. It boasts. It murmurs. It complains. It's contentious. It's sensual. And it's vile. This is what the Bible says about the human tongue. And I I know there's... Maybe this is a place to say this. I know there's... uh, uh, In our culture, God's name is used, if not as a curse word, as slang. You guys know what I'm talking about. You see it all the time. You hear it all the time. And I, I would just encourage you to think deeply about how you use the word, even if it's a generic word, God, how you use it. I would encourage you to think deeply about that. You need to be different. You don't need to be like the world. And even in the, the, the generic name of God, to use it in some flippant or casual or careless or idle way. You know, I see it all the time in Facebook. You see the, the, the initials. And you hear it. You hear it in, in the world. You, you hear this. Oh my God! And all it is is a slang. It's just slang. It's slang. My challenge to you is to be different. My challenge to you is to be different. That's my challenge to you. You're a Christian. You're a son of God or daughter of God. Be different in the world, beloved. Be different in the world. Verses 5-6 through six here, the tongue is small, but it makes great boast. What a great forest is set aflame by a small fire. Proverbs 16-27, an ungodly man digs up evil, and in his lips there is a burning fire. God likens the power of the tongue to a fire out of control. We've all seen the devastation of a, of a forest fire and what it can do. We know, of course, that fire can be harnessed and used for great benefit, but unharnessed, it can unleash great devastation. God says the human tongue is just like a fire. It can be used for good or it can be used for evil. A journalist, I don't know who wrote this, but he personifies gossip. I I just want to read this to you. He personifies gossip, okay? I'm reading to you about gossip. This is gossip speaking. Gossip is personified. Listen to what he says. 
I am more deadly than a screaming shell from a howitzer. I win without killing. I tear down homes. I break hearts. I wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for truth. No respect for justice. No mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea. I never forget and I never forgive. My name is Gossip. Now, I know that much of the church, at least it's been my experience, and I've been in the church uh, all my life. The first 28 years, obviously, was as an unbeliever, but since, since then, as, as a believer. And I understand that it seems as if much of the church considers gossip as kind of a second-tier sin. Like, it, God's not really serious about this, right? It's okay if I talk about other people. It's okay. It's okay if I do. Because I know God's not really worried about it. God doesn't, is not really concerned about gossip. Listen, I, I went to seminary with a brother. <laughs> he had a church blow up because of gossip. Beloved, do I need to tell you? God is serious. God is serious about your tongue. God is serious about gospel. Uh, pardon me, about, about gossip. Do I need to tell you that God is serious, that this is a big deal with God? The English word gossip appears seven times in the NAS translation, which is the one I use. Three of those seven times, the adjective malicious is in front of it. Gossip is not some second tier kind of sin that God winks at. God never winks at any kind of sin. In fact, when you read your Bible, you go to Romans chapter 1, and, and God's talking about the total depravity of man, right? He's just... He's just got, it's not a complete list, but there's this list of the total depravity of man in Romans chapter 1. God says, he, he mentions homosexuality, wickedness, greed, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, slander, arrogance, inventors of evil. Mankind are haters of God. And then he says, they're gossips. <laughs> this is a big deal with God. You go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. And Paul is warning Timothy about what it will be like in the end times. And Paul says that men will be lovers of self and money and boastful and arrogant and they'll be revilers and unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, brutal, uh, haters of good. They'll be treacherous and they'll be malicious gossips, he says. <laughs> you know, again, I just want to make the point. It's been my experience that people believe, I guess it's kind of a white, it's a kind of a uh, sin that God winks at, beloved, gossip is serious. And that's what, this is what, uh, one of the things is being said to us here in James chapter 3, God is serious about your tongue. And if you belong to Him, He's serious that your tongue honor Him. And that your tongue be used. And be harnessed. That that fire be harnessed for good. Not for ill, but for good. Verses 7 and 8. Great text here. Mankind can tame the beasts. We can tame the tigers and lions and bears. Oh my. And killer whales. And we can tame any beast. But what does the text say? What, what can mankind not tame on his own? The tongue. <laughs> it's impossible. It's not saying the tongue can't be tamed. It's just saying you can't do it. Apart from the work of God apart from the Holy Spirit and work of God in your life. The tongue is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. And then here, verses 9 through 12, God is talking about 
He says, he says, with our tongue we bless the Lord and our Father, and with it we curse men. He just simply says, it ought not be this way. You call yourself a Christian, you know that mankind is made in the image of God. You know, I, I guess my greatest temptation, I'll just make a confession to you, um, even at 60, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time, but um, I still hate it when those guys cut me off at the toll booth. And you guys know what I'm talking about? Or, or they cut you off. Uh, you know those guys that come around you on the autostrada and they go whoosh, like that? And, and it's almost like, I hate that. And I can feel it. I want to say something not good. And I have to always remember this text. He cut me off in traffic. And I hate that. But he's made in the image of God, right? He's made in the image of God. Who am I to curse a human being made in the image of God? Or even say something questionable about Him? Who am I? Who am I? It's really just arrogance. It's vanity and ego and arrogance. And I know we all have, I don't know what it is that gets under your skin, but we all have these flashpoints, you know, that just wells up in us. Something wells up in us and we want to, you know, verbally lay the wood to them. But the wise man bridles his tongue. The wise man bridles his tongue. James says it ought not be this way. And then he talks about the fresh water and the olives and the figs. What is he talking about? He's talking about true conversion. If you're really converted, fresh water will be coming out. Not always perfectly. Yes, we always as Christians, we always have to be uh, prepared to confess our sin and then go ask for forgiveness. We all need to always use, uh, you know, we always need to go and ask for forgiveness. We always make mistakes. We always sin against God and against those around us. You know, let me just ask you this. When was the last time you asked for forgiveness for something you, in some way that you offended someone? You know, we just always have to be spring-loaded to do that. He's talking about true conversion here. True conversion. That's the imagery that we see. Real Christians really walk and really talk like they really love Christ. Again, not perfectly. But that's the bulk of our speech. That's what our life, that's the ambiance of our life. You guys know 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I probably bring it up to you a lot in, the, in my preaching. If any man is in Christ, someone tell me what? If any man is in Christ, what? He's a new creature. He's brand new. He's brand new. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. The new man in Christ has a new mouth. He has a new tongue. He has new speech. The old man, the unregenerate man, he couldn't tame his tongue. But the new man can tame his tongue. He's indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. He can tame his tongue. He can bridle his tongue. He can be used mightily of God in the world because he has a bit in his mouth. And God can yank him either way. If you don't have a bit in your mouth, you're probably not much used to God. I mean, if I'm just going to stay with the metaphors here. <laughs> I'm just going to close with the words of Jesus. I've already alluded to this text. Matthew 12, 34b to 37. I'm going to turn and read that in just a minute. But first let me say, Jesus says, you can read a man's heart like a book if you just listen to his words. 
The tongue is such an accurate indicator of the heart that the authenticity of a profession of faith in Christ can be clearly discerned. I believe that's true. I've been in this business for a while, so I would give an amen to that. I'm going to turn just briefly. If you want to turn with me, you can. I'm in Matthew chapter 12. I'm just going to read verses 34b and following in closing. Jesus says, these are the words of Jesus, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good. The evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. Verse 36, And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render an account for it in the day of judgment. Every careless word. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. These are the words of Jesus. So what is He saying? We've been talking about this the last two weeks. We're not justified by works. We're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But what is Jesus saying? He's saying if we are indeed justified, (laughs) it'll be evident in our speech. (laughs) Justification will be evident in the speech. It'll be evident with the words coming across the tongue. It'll be evident is what the Lord Jesus is saying to us. So, I'll just end by asking you, what are you doing with your 20,000 words? Beloved, just like everything else in your life, your words are a stewardship before God. You will give an account. Are you exalting Christ with your words? Are you serving the body with your words? Are you encouraging and edifying the brethren with your words? Are you loving your neighbors with your words? Are you sharing the Gospel with your words? This is how real Christians use their tongue. And yes, we all sin and we all make mistakes, but we repent, we confess, we repent, and we get up and we're clean and we go. We use our tongue to make much of Jesus. So I want to encourage you and exhort you to speak gracious words, kind words, loving words, true words, holy words, edifying words, sensitive words, gentle words, comforting words, unselfish words, peaceful words, words of blessing, words of humility, words of wisdom, words of thanksgiving, guilt-removing and sin-annihilating words, hell-crushing words as you share the name of Jesus with your colleagues your friends, and your neighbors. So, your tongue is you. Who are you? Who are you in the world? Jesus says, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. This is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we...